often can forget is, uh, maybe someone was born a Jew here, I, I, I don't want to say it, but most of us, I, I assume, are, are Gentiles, that is, non-Jews. And so we're going to learn from someone like us. Someone who was a Gentile who encountered the Lord Jesus. This is a passage that has puzzled many a student of Scripture. And so we, we go with, we go into this with a, a slight awareness uh, that, that there is um, many questions and great mystery and great wonder. So just by way of context, before we dive into our passage, it's worth noting that Jesus has just been in Jewish territory. In fact, in the passage immediately before this one, Jesus has just had a showdown with the Pharisees. The debate was this. What makes a person unclean? And the Pharisees, they said, it is what is outside of us that makes us unclean. But Jesus said, no, it's not what's on the outside of us, but what is on the inside of us. It is what comes out of our hearts that makes us unclean. So right on the heels of this discussion, Jesus and his disciples leave Jewish territory and head for Gentile lands. In some ways, we might think that Mark, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, has strategically placed his account right here of this encounter because it highlights a sharp contrast. Because in this passage, we who would be regarded by the Jews as unclean. Add to the fact her daughter was possessed by an unclean spirit. Now just look down at verse 24. And from there, Jesus arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house. And did not want anyone to know. Tyre. Josephus, the eminent Jewish historian, says that the people in Tyre were amongst the bitterest enemies of the Jews. It was a a place that was committed to gross paganism and idolatry. So that's where Jesus goes with his disciples. The second thing that Mark wants us to know is that Jesus didn't want to meet anyone. The backstory: Jesus and his disciples have been going at a ministry to the masses for months. And they need a getaway retreat. They need a break. They need rest and refreshment. And so, you could imagine a strategic place for these Jewish men to to get away from the masses is to go into Gentile territory where they won't be known. 
to book a, a you know, a sort of Airbnb home. Nobody'll know. They'll be able to chill out, relax, rest, no disturbance. Um, I, I got married three years ago, and my, my wife and I uh, decided for our honeymoon we would uh, go to Spain for for one of the weeks. And uh, I was thinking we'll, we'll go to this. Uh, we're, we're going to a, a well-known place, but I was thinking we won't meet anyone we know, so it'll be good. We're at the airport, going through baggage. I turn around, and there's one of my old school friends. We get chatting. Where, where are you headed? Spain. What part? Same part as I am going to. Um, what hotel? Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were getting away. Here's Jesus and his disciples and they thought they were getting away. They didn't want anyone to know where they were. But what does Mark tell us? And he entered the house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not be hidden. Now... Jesus and the disciples were tired. They were weary. And here they are in their Airbnb or their guest house. And immediately they're disturbed. Mark's favorite word is immediately, but look at verse 25. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Like they've just sat down. They've just unpacked their bags. They're about to enjoy a meal. And immediately there's a woman. Not just any woman. She's a Gentile woman. She's a foreigner. Not just any kind of foreigner. She's a mixed race foreigner. She's both Syrian, Phoenician. She's, she's among the people, the Jews of the first century because of a lot of history struggled with. And she barges into the guest house and she starts pleading with Jesus about her daughter. A number of you in the congregation are are mothers. You've had a child who's sick. You've been distraught and distressed. You would do absolutely anything for your daughter. You would take the illness if you could Yourself, instead of them going through it, just imagine a distraught and distressed mother barging into the presence of Jesus and his disciples and begging, falling on her knees, desperate for help. Imagine the scene in your mind's eye. Matthew in his, his gospel says she, she comes in crying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And then he adds this little detail that should just stand out and take our breath away. But Jesus did not answer a word. This is Jesus, guys. Every time. 
There's someone in need. Every time there's someone in distress, Jesus is there. He helps. Just with a touch, the, the, the unclean are made clean. The leper is made free from leprosy. Just with a touch. And yet there's something strange, startling, stunning. He seems completely and utterly indifferent. Now to add to matters, the disciples. (laughs) And in Matthew's account, they pipe up, Jesus, send this woman away. Now you can imagine it, right? Remember James and uh, John? Remember the Samaritans? They wanted to call down thunder from heaven. The, the foreigners, you know, there's, there's tension. So you can imagine the way they're, Jesus, come on. We're on holiday. We're on a break. Just get this woman out of here. She's crying out after us. Jesus, you said, we've been doing ministry to the masses for months. You said we'd have a break. Come on, Jesus. Says nothing for a while. Peter pipes up. Jesus. She's still crying out and begging, please, send her away. Just by way of contrast, it's worth noting a couple of things. Back in Mark chapter 5, the story is told of Jairus. You know the synagogue ruler? He went before Jesus. And fell at his feet and begged for help for his daughter. But this isn't a Jew. This is a Gentile. And this isn't a man. This is a woman. And sometimes the the, the etiquette, the, the culture, males having conversations with females, Gentile females... No go. And so, maybe Jesus was just sticking to the custom. He's a Jew. She's a Gentile. She's unclean. The other thing that's worthy of note is, why did this woman come to Jesus? Back in Mark chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, we read this. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Edomia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. In other words, what we're told back in chapter 3 is there were people from Tyre who were well aware of who Jesus was. There were people from Tyre who'd gone and heard him preach. No doubt beheld him as he performed miracles of healing. And so here's this desperate mum now coming to Jesus for help. And she's heard the rumor, she's heard the stories, go to Jesus and he heals, he helps. He may be a Jew, but he does. 
And now we get to the part of the story that is really puzzling. When Jesus finally responds, he responds with a parable. And Jesus had taught his disciples about parables. That those with ears to hear will understand. Some who are ever hearing are never perceiving. Most often the Pharisees. And also, at times, the disciples didn't understand Jesus' parables. Here's Jesus' parable. Verse 27. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Do you understand the parable? Children refers to the Israelites. God's chosen people. Let the people of God have the bread first. Now who's, who are the dogs? That's the Gentiles. Now this is startling and stunning. This, this doesn't feel like Jesus. This feels really strange. You see, you know the, 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 the biblical theme from Genesis, God's chosen people, the Jews. You know that, you remember their purpose? They received God's covenant promises. The plan and purpose of redemption is that the, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through them. You know the unfolding story of the Old Testament. More often than not, God's people were not a blessing to the nations, but at times actually refused to engage in the very mission they'd been invited into. Think story of Jonah. By the first century, things had got so bad that the messianic expectation was that the Messiah would come and he would set free his people from Gentile rule, the Roman Empire. And, and, and tribalism had really set in and that God's people hoarded the blessings of God for themselves and they despised Jews. Such was their disgust that they called them dogs. One of the problems was when Jesus came claiming to be the Messiah... He didn't act like a Jewish Messiah. You see, he befriended Gentiles. The enemy. The ones who they thought would be overthrown. The Pharisees just could not stand it. And yet, if the Pharisees had been present in this home, this guest house that day, and heard Jesus speak this parable, they would have clapped their hands and said, finally, you're starting to sound like a Jew. Let the children eat the bread. And the Gentiles, the dogs, theirs is the crumbs. So here's the question. What in the world is going on? This is Jesus. 
We know him so well. We've, we've studied passages. Drop reading them. He heals. He cares. He's compassionate. This doesn't sound compassionate. This doesn't sound caring. His, his behavior's been strange. Is Jesus tired? Is he just, in this moment, was he so tired, he just, I just can't do anymore, so doesn't speak for a while, and then when he does speak, he just says something that seems utterly ludicrous. In fact, in some ways, it's downright offensive. Well, of course not. So what's going on? I need to be careful because I don't want to assume that I I fully, fully understand this. But this is what I do know. Jesus, always the perfect son of God, knew what was the right thing to say to people in all circumstances. Jesus was always brilliantly contextual. Remember his disciples? Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They were fishermen. Remember when he spoke to the rich young ruler? Okay, you keep all the law. Go sell everything you have. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Go and sin no more. The Pharisees. Jesus always spoke brilliantly. He he, he always connected the, the, the truth of God to people where they were at. Only... The sick need a doctor. So you've got to understand this. We know that Jesus is speaking brilliantly, contextually, to this woman. He understands and knows something about this woman. And somehow this statement, a statement she wouldn't be that unfamiliar with, Jews would have often spoke of Gentiles as dogs, she wouldn't be surprised. And so here, here, here's, here's the part of the story. Here's the part of this incident that is incredible. Jesus says this statement. And she answers him. And she says, yes, Lord. She says what Pharisees could never say. I understand exactly what your parable means. She says what many of his disciples in so many opportunities could never say. I understand, Jesus, what you're talking about. She says, yes, Lord. I am a dog. In other words, she understood That she was unclean. She understood that in the presence of Jesus, the promised Messiah, that before him, she was like a dog. Wild, ununtamable. I shouldn't be here before you. I shouldn't be in your presence. Yes, Lord, you know my credentials and Lord I accept it I understand who I am in your presence 
Can I ask you this question? Do you know who you are in the presence of Jesus? Do you know that in the presence of God, you are a sinner? Your heart is wicked. You don't understand it. Your good works, your best works, are like filthy rags under his pure, perfect, holy gaze. Could you admit tonight, you're like a dog. So point number one, she, she has a right estimation of herself. But I want, what I want you to notice next is that she doesn't stay wallowing in her dog status. Woe is me. I will retreat in self-pity. Yes, she has a right estimation of herself, but she also understands who Jesus is. So she's got a right estimation of herself, but she's also got a right understanding of who Jesus is. She says, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, this is absolutely brilliant. I say this as reverently as possible. This woman hears Jesus' parable. She then understands it. She enters into it, and she, if you like, ones up Jesus and says, yes, Jesus, I know who I am. But I also know who you are. As the bread of life, even a crumb from you would satisfy me. Nearly every time Jesus has spoken in parables, people have been left silenced, confounded, confused. No one really understood them. Yet here's Jesus, he's not in Jewish territory, he's in Gentile territory, and this woman hears what to say, and she understands. And not only does she understand, she's able to say back to Jesus, like, here's my parable. Even the dogs, get crumbs from the table. This woman reveals that she understood who Jesus was. Jesus is so bountiful, so abundant in his grace and his goodness and his mercy that even a scrap, even a morsel of bread from the table would satisfy her greatest need. She turns the parable around and Jesus says, I accept what you have said of me. I am a dog. Now, Jesus, is my estimation of you correct? In other words, it's like she says, I've I've heard you've touched lepers and made them clean. I've heard you've come to seek and save the lost. Well, here I am, the... Filthy, unclean, worst of the worst. Let's see if you are who you claim to be. She's so bold, so audacious. Now look at Jesus' response to her. For this statement 
you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. In Luke's account of the exact same story, O woman, how great is your faith. Matthew, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done as you desire. This Gentile woman stands in stark contrast to the Pharisees and even to the disciples because when Jesus engages her in one of the most startling and stunning ways we've ever heard him engage with anyone, she says, yeah, I get what you're saying of me, but Jesus, am I right in what I say of you? And Jesus says, you're right. You understand. You know, this, this parable that Jesus used, let's just be really clear on it. It does have the logic of the gospel that so often we tend to forget. The gospel, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. We're we're the grafted in people who receive the blessing. That's always been the plan and purpose from the beginning. But the beauty is this woman understood that. Sometimes we think when we study scripture, we're the Jew. Sometimes we forget. And so we can learn from this woman. And we can learn that one of the things that Jesus loves is when people put his character, his faithfulness to the test. When people are willing to admit what is true about them, but also what is true about him. You know what true humility is? Sometimes people think humility is like being really down in the dumps and being like, you know, self-deprecating. It's not true humility. True humility is this, having a right understanding of who God is and having a right understanding of who you are in light of who God has made you to be. This woman had a right understanding of who Jesus, the Son of God, was. She had a right understanding of who she was in his presence. And she knew that Jesus was big enough to hear her put him to the test and say, Jesus, is what I'm saying of you true? I understand, Jesus. I have no priority claim to the blessings of the kingdom of God. I understand, Jesus, that the, the, the Israelites, that is the purpose. You, 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 you've come as their Messiah. But Jesus, I understand that a scrap from you, the bread of life, Give me all that I need. Mark's gospel begins, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus, the Son of God. The gospel is written to reveal the identity of of Jesus. In the the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Just so we get the identity of Jesus so clear, the next statement in Mark's gospel says, And she went home. And found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Who can heal and not even be present where the child is? With a word. Only God. Mar wants us to be blown away once again. Jesus. This morning, the one who forgives sins, but he is the one who came to make the unclean clean. He's the one who came to change the lives of people. 
He's the one with the word who stilled the storm, cast out demons, raised people's life from dead. Now, let me wrap this up. I think we want to wrap this up by doing this. I said we're going to be learning from a Gentile woman. So what can we learn from this Gentile woman? She is the perfect example, by number one, of having a right understanding of ourselves. I'm asking this question. Do you rightly understand yourself? Now, I want to argue not as well as we think. Theologically speaking, we're Reformed. We're Calvinists. You would probably, like me, believe in the doctrine of total depravity. Total depravity, right? No issues with that? Orthodoxy. Check. What about practically speaking then? So, you're in an argument with your spouse or a friend, and you lose it a little bit. You say things that you really shouldn't have said. What do you do? What happens? You start to justify your sin. Well, not so bad. Sorry, I didn't mean what I said, but you said it. Oh, I was really tired. Your inner defense lawyer, best in the game, best in the business, rises up within you and starts to say to you, now justify why, why you aren't as bad as they make you out to be in this moment. We started learning this when we were kids. So, so over uh, walking over to to have lunch at Jack's house today was Chan Hannah, who's a primary school teacher. Uh, I hope you don't mind me sharing this story, but she shared this story of this little boy in our class who threw something towards her. It hit her and it caused a little bit of blood to come from her leg. Right, pretty serious in in, in one sense, but she was okay. But she wanted to say, "Listen, Jack." Listen to the little boy. What you did was wrong. And his first response when she pointed it out to him, it wasn't me. You know, there there are times you can see a little boy or a girl and they've got chocolate cake all over their mouths and you say, did you take the chocolate cake? And they say, no, I didn't. And ever since you're a child, you've learned how you to convince yourself that you didn't actually do what you did. You, you, you learn at times not to admit the truth of who you really are. And sometimes we find this really easy in church because sometimes we can look at other people, say in church or even in the wider culture, and we think to ourselves, I'm not as bad as they are. We learn to deflect... In, in the garden, right? Adam and Eve have sinned. You remember the conversation, how it goes in the fall? What have you done? Adam's response is to immediately blame Eve. She made me do it. Eve's response is to immediately blame the serpent. Satan made me do it. 
No, you did it. So, so we just love to deflect and shift the blame. We love to justify ourselves. You know, it's actually hard to admit the truth about who we are. We are dogs. Good illustration. Wild and untamable. In the first century culture, dogs. They were wild and untamable. They, were, they, they, they weren't your cuddly cute pet. And that's what we can learn from this Gentile woman is that she said, no, yeah, Lord, that, that is who I am. If you don't uh, think you're that bad, and if you do struggle with admitting that you're a sinner, don't compare yourself to anyone else apart from Jesus. You want to do a comparison game? Never lied. Never lusted. Never cursed. Never coveted. Never took the name of God lightly. Never bore false witness. Never broke one of God's commandments. Question. How do you measure up? Comparison to him? You're filthy and unclean. That's the first point of application. But here's the second point. Now, we're Presbyterians, and I know us Presbyterians too well. We can wallow with self-hatred. We can loathe ourselves. Some of us know we don't measure up. We know that we're dogs. You've got something you need to learn from this woman. You need to look at her confidence before the Lord. Because even though she, she's willing to admit who she is, you know what's even more important than that? She's willing to hold Jesus to who he is. And she has such a high view of who Jesus is. And she's as confident in Jesus' ability as the Savior as opposed to her state as a sinner. Because of who I am, Jesus, I know I should never hear. Because of who I am, Jesus, I know I don't deserve anything from you. But, Jesus, I know who you are. I know what you say. And I trust it. And I believe it. And I will hold you to it. Those of us who love you of ourselves, who often can wallow in self-pity, and honestly, what is your view of Jesus? Do you think Jesus can handle someone like you? The one who with a word can still a storm, drive the demons, heal the leper, raise the dead. Do you think he is big enough, glorious enough to deal with you and all of your struggles? He is. He, he can. He will. 
You read through the word, the claims of who he is, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger, compassionate, merciful. We, the people of God, need to learn to go in his presence and, yes, admit who we are, but willing to say with audacious faith, but I know who you are, and I love it that I can rest in that. This passage reveals this to us. Jesus loves it when his people act like this. That's why he, he, he commended this woman. So as I wrap up, this is how simple this is. This is how simple Christianity is. I admit that I'm a mess. I admit I am a dog. But I believe that he is the saviour of sinners, that he sanctifies sinners. I believe he can handle who I am. And I believe in everything he said about himself, and I believe all the promises of the word, and I believe he'll be faithful to them, and so I will hold him to it. All the way to the end. I believe in the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we learn from this woman. Let's pray. Oh God, we confess that so often we know things to be true and yet our sinful hearts can, can do all that they want in, in, in foolish wisdom to try and unconvince ourselves of that truth. God, sorry for when we profess to be so orthodox and yet our orthopraxy, our living is not in step with what we believe. God, we thank you that in your presence we can admit who we are. But even more important than that, we can admit who you are, who your son is. And we rejoice in that tonight. We pray that as your people who seek to grow in our relationship with you, that we would know you better, know your word better, know the promises that you've made to us, and we'd be faithful to hold you to them. God, you're jealous for your own glory. You're far more committed to us than we would ever be committed to you. Your son, the Lord Jesus, is the true Israel who vindicated the promises and the plan of redemption that blessing would be brought first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And we thank you that tonight we are recipients of that blessing. Lord, we we pray that as we go out and live this week, that these truths would shape us in how we live and how we interact with you. That we would be honest. We would be true to who you say we are and what we learn to say of who you are. Lord, we want to pray for um, this summer. Thank you so much that in wisdom you know that we need rest and refreshment. And so, Lord, as many in the congregation in the days that lie ahead, even in this week and in the days and weeks ahead, will go on holiday. 
pray, O God, that you would grant them rest and refreshment. Pray that they would discover afresh the blessed reality of sleep and the blessed reality of being able to to disengage from, from, from work or the demands of the busyness of life. And ask, O God, that you would renew and strengthen those who do go on holiday. Lord, for those who can't, for those who are unwell, we think especially of Adam, one of the elders. We just lift him before you. And Lord, you know the needs of all anyone else who at this time is perhaps unwell or in need of attention. We come before you and we pray, O God, you the wise God, would do what is best for them. And they're in their struggling and in their suffering and in their difficulty. That you would remind them and reassure them of your promises. Outwardly, we, we might be wasting away, but in, inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary sufferings are not worth comparing to the weight of glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you that if you are for us, who, who, who can be against us? Thank you that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And what we pray this evening for ourselves, we want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ in persecuted lands. Lord, those who hold fast to who you are, trusting you in the face of death. Lord, we pray for the example of so many of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we could desperately learn from, who don't enjoy the freedoms that are ours in this land and yet still seek to be faithful by gathering to worship you and making you known, even if it would mean imprisonment or death. For those who have known loss in their families, we pray that you, the God of all comfort, would comfort them. For those who are living in fear, we pray that you would fill them afresh with an understanding of your love, your perfect love that casts out all fear. We pray that you would guard their hearts and minds with your peace. We pray, O God, that the good work you have begun in them, you would see onto completion. We pray, Lord, for our brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer, and we realize that as we pray for them, they are praying for us. And so help us, Lord. Help us who don't realize how blessed we are to live here. Help us to live in a manner worthy as we bear your name. Be with us in the rest of this evening. Bless and keep all of us and our loved ones. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.